0: Coming up on today's show Is Nintendo's successor to the Switch Finally on the horizon We discuss... Everybody, and welcome to another episode of the What's Good Games Podcast, your source for video game news, commentary, analysis, and funny stuff every Friday. I'm one of your hosts, Andrea Renee. Joined again by the blonde wonder, Miss Brittany Prombacher. That's me. <laughs> we'll talk about your set in just a second. And also joining us, Mrs. Rihanna Manuel Pena. Still on my feet, even after getting my blood drawn. <laughs> oh, good girl. Oh, yes, the wonders of the pregnancy glucose test. <gasps>
1: No, it that's was fine. Syrupy I survived. shit. Yeah.
0: Basically, for people who are like, what is that? It's a blood test that you have to do to test how well your pancreas and your insulin are working as one, because, you know, your pancreas makes insulin in your blood. And they test it by feeding you a really syrupy, sweet sugar drink. And then they're like, you have to drink it really fast. And then you have to sit there while they measure your blood. Yeah. And by measuring, I mean take. They take a lot of your blood.
2: Yeah. yeah. They took it from me. I they remember did. the first sip. I was like, oh, this is so bad. And then you realize you have to <laughs> chug the whole thing. And the whole like, oh, thing well, and they
1: don't market. let you like sip it it's like chug like under a minute you have to consume the whole thing It was. it's very like you're intense. at a
2: college party and everyone's gathered <laughs> around you like you have these nurses like staring at you like chug 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 and you're like oh no
0: except you don't get to feel drunk afterwards no sadly you just sit and stare at a wall for an hour
1: it sucked <laughs>
0: Anyway, welcome to the show, everybody. We're glad that you are here, and hopefully you enjoy our pregnancy stories. <laughs> we have a very interesting, fun show for you. A little bit of fun news to kind of speculate about, and then in hands-on, we've got some some new goodness. I want to say thank you to this month's Patreon producers, Chewy Godson, Ferris, he, Justin Foshi, and Punkified. It is a new month, everybody, so if you once again thought, hey, I want to help support What's Good Games, or maybe you just don't like listening to the ads, You can go to patreon.com slash what's good games and get the show there ad free. We appreciate the support and thank you to everybody who has been with us, especially all of you folks who have been with us since day one. We love y'all. And today's show is also brought to you by Honey and Factor, but I'll tell you more about them later. Brittany, we've got a couple new reviewers as
2: well. We do. We have MLR Bronco. Ooh, giddy up, cowboy. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and then we have Kevin Soley. And I was double checking the name because I somehow put a Z in front of Kevin's name, but there's no Z there. Anyway, thank you to you so, so much for your five-star reviews. We appreciate them and we love you. And thank you for being rad and awesome. Did I vent about a reviewer before the show went live, perhaps. But that's okay. We don't need to talk about that anymore. So I appreciate you too. Thank you. Yes, we appreciate
0: everybody who's taken the time to leave us a wonderful kind five-star review. But let's just go ahead and jump right into the news, shall we? Because the word on the street, ladies, is that Nintendo is ready to unveil Switch Pro. Just kidding! It's what's coming after Switch, apparently. (laughs) They're just gonna completely forego doing another version of the Nintendo Switch and whatever the new hotness is, is coming, according to these reports, as early as late next year. So, we have a report from VGC that a lot of news outlets picked up. I picked up Polygon's report from Michael McGorder, who is one of their senior reporters over there, because I thought he added in some really great context about what VGC the Video Game Chronicles report actually cited. So, of course, anonymous development sources are reporting some key partner studios already have development kits for the device. Now, while Nintendo's next-gen hardware details are scant, it will reportedly be playable as a portable device, like the Switch, and it will support cartridge-based games, which is a little bit of a surprise to me considering how far away from physical-based media gaming has become, but I appreciate that they're not leaving people who like physical in the dust quite yet. The system will reportedly feature an LCD screen, not an OLED, which aligns with reporting that Bloomberg did that Sharp is manufacturing these L C D screens for the new gaming console? This will of course help bring the cost down for Nintendo and hopefully for consumers as well. The latest report is what is colloquially known as Switch 2. Is that what we're calling it? Switch two? No. Know.
2: I like the new Nintendo Switch or Super Nintendo Switch is what I mean. Sorry. Super Nintendo Switch.
0: I like that better too. Hmm. I think that's good. Yeah. Especially if it's gonna be portable, it feels like why get rid of all of the years and years of SEO that you have baked into
1: people's brains
0: and into the internet. That's what they I'll try, try to boogie you.
1: <laughs> that's fair. I just hope it's not confusing. People go to the store and they're like, I want the new switch. They're like, okay, and they hand you an OLED and you're like, wait, no, it's not right. <laughs> that was a thing with the 3DS. I don't know yeah. if you guys remember like when they yeah. did like the new
0: 3DS, it was like a weird, it was like Wait, which one switch again?
2: Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about it, but I feel like yeah, it, it, you can't get away from the switch name. You can't call it something different. I feel like switch has to be a part of it. But switch two is that's stupid. I don't think that'll, that won't stick.
0: Nintendo's never named their consoles with numbers.
2: Right. Yeah. The so, closest situation we could look at here is tedious, like the, the Wii. Tedious. Well, yeah or the Wii and then the Wii U but
0: yeah i mean cuz 2DS to 3DS it's also- wouldn't really work because it was it went to 3DS because it was the 3D slider yeah. was like the big yeah. feature right so i don't think switch 2 is going to be a thing but if that's what we're calling it just you know to have a, a frame of reference for now sure <laughs> So, while Nintendo has not formally announced its next console, it has effectively ruled out releasing one anytime prior to April 1st, 2024. It said in an earnings call this year that it wants to bolster Switch sales with new games and add-on content, and the current lineup includes new games and DLC for some of its biggest franchises, including the recently announced Super Mario Brothers Wonder, Detective Pikachu Returns, and Super Mario RPG
1: Remake, <sighs>
0: plus... WarioWare Move It, a new Princess Peach game, Ah! and a pair of atoms for Pokemon Scarlet and Violet called the hidden treasure of Area Zero. So, while most of these games do have 2023 release dates, the Princess Peach game and the remake of Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon are slated to come next year in 2024. So, worth mentioning that just in June, not that long ago, Nintendo president Shantaro Furukawa addressed the company's next-gen hardware obliquely, according to Polygon, saying that it hoped to provide a smooth transition from the Switch to a new platform. Quote, As for the transition from Nintendo Switch to the next-generation machine... Borokawa said in translated remarks at an investor meeting. We want to do as much as possible in order to smoothly transition our customers while utilizing the Nintendo account. So this falls in line with how they have been bolstering the Nintendo online subscription service, really offering a lot more added value there, more games to play, things like that. So wouldn't be surprised if you just basically move everything via your online account. Would encourage more people to pay for the already like pretty... Reasonably priced subscription compared to what their competitors, PlayStation and Xbox, are offering. Yeah. So I didn't realize, ladies, that more than 1 billion Switch games have been sold to date. I mean, we've talked about this 125 million Switches on the planet number before, but
1: a billion games. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a high attach rate. Like, bravo. That's yeah. Impressive. Yeah. Switch. I mean, it's Switch time. Switch one.
2: It's time for a new console. We're six years into this. By the time 2024 rolls around, it'll be seven years. And then an, a- an analyst here, an ad- l- 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 analyst just said here that Nintendo is projected to see double digit declines in Switch hardware this year after it cleared seven years in the market. I mean, like, let's be real. Nintendo's doing fine, but it is, yep you know, this console is just falling behind more and more. And I am just really thrilled about the idea of getting a new Switch for many different reasons. I have a little list here of, of things I would like to see because Ooh. it's just, Okay, okay. 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 So the console itself, ladies, I think it needs to be obviously, this is like the most obvious one. It needs to be more powerful and beefy. Now I know depending on the developer making the game, you look at Monolith, who's crushing it with Xenoblade. And then you look at Game Freak who, you know, Pokemon, Scarlet and Violet look like a janky ass mess. I know depending on the developer, it can be optimized to a certain extent, but it shouldn't have to be, I would think too difficult to optimize your game to make it look like it runs somewhat smoothly. So giving developers the hardware they need in order to make games, like I'm not a game developer, but I can only assume that that would help with that aspect of it. Obviously, this is the part of the rumor. The hybrid model obviously needs to be there. I don't think Nintendo, we're ever going to see Nintendo have like a purely dedicated handheld in the sense of like the 2DS or the 3DS was. I think this is going to be the future of Nintendo. So as long as it maintains that model, I love that thing when I travel, I'll be happy. I want more ergonomic Joy-Cons. Those little plastic pieces of shit make my little crab hands even crabbier and they just lock up. I actually have a shell I don't have it with me in front of me but that I put my Switch in when I play it handheld. I bring it everywhere I travel because if I don't my hands just cramp up and I can't hold it and I actually find too that it's hard for me to like completely wrap my hand around and get all the buttons that I need to in a really accessible way like trying to play Tears of the Kingdom without my little grippies which has like the ergonomic grips on it it's near impossible for me and I don't know if that's just yeah. a Brit thing but I would love that
0: it's definitely not just a you thing that's why those shells exist and I think the launch of the Steam Deck, how big it is compared to the Switch, has shown that people are more than happy to have a big old console that they hold in their hands and they would rather have more real estate than less. Yeah.
2: And uh, finally, the console itself, just something sturdier. I don't know, again, Mm. if it's just like I've gotten unlucky, but I feel like where my Joy-Cons attach, they're kind of flimsy isn't the word. Like I'm not worried about them busting and falling off, but there is like wiggle room. Like I can wiggle the Joy-Cons on mine, but Jason's Switch and my dad's Switch, I can't. So I feel like I've just gotten maybe a little bit unlucky. And it's not like I throw my Switch around and break it. It's just like it just is wobbly, and like that kind of makes me sad. But so that like that's the physical unit itself. Like those and the kickstand, I honestly have never used before. It's not true. Maybe I used it like once when I was waiting in the parking lot once, and I couldn't go into my mom's doctor appointment with her, so I like propped it up on my dashboard and like did some fishing with the with the kickstand. But like that was it. Other than that, though, like I think this the hardware itself is okay. You know the shape of it, the general like function of it. But when it comes to the guts, yeah, the the features that come with it, I mean. The digital library, there needs to be consistency, and it needs to transfer over. All of the games you've downloaded, and this is kind of what Furukawa was... I mean, I don't know if this is exactly what he was hinting at, but I better be able to take my games that I've bought and downloaded on the Switch to whatever this new console is. You haven't You're been You're talking about to, backwards compatibility. Yeah, or just eShop, or something on the eShop, necessarily. You know, like, all my digital library needs to be able to come with me. So whatever you want to call that, backwards compatibility, or just whatever, because that's never been a thing Nintendo's offered, and I can't tell you how many fucking times I've had to buy Earthbound, And I'll continue to buy Earthbound, but my God, don't make me buy it again because it's just greedy and there's no excuse for it at this point.
0: So that's like one of the biggest question marks around this rumor, right, is what is backwards compatibility going to look like on this next system? Because Nintendo, as you just said, has never done it and they don't really have... The market requests to do it because people keep buying, which is a tough place to be in. Because we as consumers are like, "Hey, we are fans of your work. We keep buying your stuff." Kind of feels bad, man, when you you know make us rebuy it to work on new hardware when the technology clearly exists for you to not have to make us do that. So I'm I'm yeah. I'm with you that I would really like to see their strategy change in that department. I think it's overdue for them to get up to speed. For their online connectivity and their digital cataloging, as far as their inventory of their back. Catalog of their IP, but I guess I'm just not holding out hope that that's going to be a thing.
2: Oh my God. I can't imagine it. I mean, I can't imagine it. <laughs> I can't no. imagine a universe that exists, but I mean, it would we'd all get really mad for a day and then we'd probably get over it. And the final thing is just something different with the eShop. I don't know the last time either of you hopped on the eShop just to see like what's out there. I mean, every oh, yeah, time, recently. Okay, yeah. It's all hentai shit. It's like hentai this, crossword puzzle this, or like my boyfriend fucks me in the ass. This, like, it's like the most ridiculous ridiculous like obscure games and like I don't know why these are here but it covers and I know it's hard. You can't really like make a filter where it's like filter out the shit and then you know only show like this, that, or the other. But it's just hard to mean, navigate.
0: Do you truly mean like actual hentai? Is, like, in it's the called Y-shot? like hentai
2: crossword or like hentai. Like, yeah, I, I mean, that's, it's in the title of the game. I, I don't feel even...
0: like there should definitely be like an adult filter that filters hentai out specifically. I don't
2: really, yeah. And I don't even know if it actually is. I haven't clicked on it. I really should though. I, I should get a little, yeah. I haven't. Nintendo For has science. been, you know, historically
0: very good about their parental controls and, and family and child safety. Y- yeah,
2: I mean, I, I don't think it's like you click on it and it's like ass and titties. I think it's just maybe. But the like, art
0: looks like hentai,
2: and it's called it in the title. Yeah. So it's well, I mean, but listen, cryptid. if
0: the word hentai is in the title, I mean, yeah. there's I mean, there it is.
2: It's there. I it's guess there like the you. saving
0: grace is that most kids probably don't know what hentai
2: is. <laughs> probably well, they're going to find out. <laughs> um, and, if and
0: if you're out there listening going um excuse me Andrea I don't know what hentai is. Oh. I literally will I'm googling the hentai Mm-mm. definition for you right now because I want to get this right. It's a genre of Japanese manga and anime characterized by overtly sexualized characters and sexually explicit images and plots. So basically it's anime porn. Yeah.
2: Okay yeah and here's the game that I I found, and I have to enter my birthday in order to look at it on Nintendo's website. So maybe. Oh, okay. It, so
0: there's an age gate at least. It's called
2: Hentai Girls. These girls want to invite you to the most tempting puzzle game experience Nintendo Switch has hmm. to offer. And then it all caps below it Hentai is art. <laughs> Listen, we're not saying it's not it's art, not. but it's
0: definitely explicit and like six-year-old Timmy should probably not be playing it.
2: Oh, my God. Their <laughs> lovely outfits might distract you. So maybe help them get rid of it. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Wow. So the- Is that what it says? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's called Hentai Girls on so Switch. So I didn't notice that the last
0: time I was on the eShop. And, but I mostly when I'm on the eShop, I'm scrolling like what the sales are. Yeah. Or, like, what the best sellers are. Because I mean, being people who, who work in video games every single week, we know what's coming out for the most part. But I like scrolling, like you said, to, like, find something new or maybe be refreshed of a game that I didn't know, like, came to Nintendo Switch. Maybe a game I pl- I wanted to play a right. while back and they finally just released it for Switch. And so I'll, like, you know, troll the eShop from time to time. but. I mean, that is definitely something Nintendo should get under control if it's just, like, a lot of hentai releases. It's
2: fun times. I don't, maybe they have the horny filter on I don't know it. I don't know. <laughs> the horny filter? N- <laughs> Nintendo's like, Brittany, we
0: would listened to the show. We thought this was just what you wanted. Is this not I mean, what you
2: want? They're not wrong, but... You know. <laughs> Uh, Okay, so where's the problem again? You know, amen to that. I just (laughs) talked out my
1: ass.
0: (laughs) Amazing. Brianna. Yeah. How are you feeling about moving on from your Switch to the next thing? Are you ready? Are you done with your Switch? How often
1: do you play your Switch? Because I know you're a big Steam Deck girly. I am a big Steam Deck girly, but I do enjoy the, the odd... Nintendo first party, so I'm not done with my Switch. It still serves the purpose that I need it to perform. We'll get into it in Hands On later, but I've been playing, in addition to Tears of the Kingdom, I've been playing a lot of Pikmin lately, and it's fantastic for that. I I really like all the party games that are on Switch. It's my mom's favorite console. I don't know. I'm ready for a new one, for sure, but I just don't have the most faith that it will deliver enough difference. For me to go buy it day one so i mean if chat function is perfect and we can like get rid of the discord calls instead of using the actual nintendo platform in order to be in a, a group setting that's wonderful if it has ssd improvements that's wonderful if it has you know better bluetooth connectivity that's wonderful i just don't think it will happen and honestly Brittany, i'm so sorry i you're probably gonna have to buy mother again like like it's just <laughs> No. It is, we've given them no incentive to improve on these things. And honestly, business decision wise, I can't blame them. A billion games have been sold for the Switch as is. And I don't know the the cartridge system is cool. I don't mind an all digital future. So that's not really a draw for me. I'm just kind of, you know, wait and see so far on what it is that's going to be different enough to make me go buy it because I have an OLED in my house that I'm playing right now. Like it's fine i don't need i don't need anything else besides what it gives me currently to play the games that i want to play now if they're bringing you know all the biggest latest and greatest titles to it and it simply can't keep up anymore with the current generation then yes of course i'm going to upgrade but other than that, I mean, to play Nintendo games, it seems like it's working okay.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting point. Like, you're right. It can't run a lot of the latest and greatest, which is why it has that stream functionality, right? That's how you, why you have to stream, like, oh, what is, like, Resident Evil Village, I think, or 7. I don't even know which one it is. But you bring up a good point because I think this is what gets me the most excited about the idea of a new Switch anyway is that launch lineup. What yeah. is that launch lineup going to look like? You know, we've gotten Zelda games as as launch titles before, and Mario, whatever it's going to be. Is this the time where we get Mario Kart 9? Is this where we get Mario Kart... Super Mario Galaxy 3! Galaxy 3! I mean... Make it happen! I think we're going to maybe... Launching with a Zelda remake of some sort, that would be something really cool to launch with. Zelda Ocarina of Time, I'm just putting that out there. Or maybe they remake something else. I don't know. Like, they usually have a bomb-ass lineup, and that's why I'm like, okay, well, I mean, if this really is coming next year, especially if it comes around the holidays... you know they might be having some really really fucking awesome games like in queue for it so we'll see I mean like you said though Nintendo's gonna Nintendo they're gonna do whatever the hell they want and we're all gonna throw money at them we can't throw money at them fast enough is what's gonna happen Mm -hmm. and it'll be great for them and us it will be we'll
0: look back on this and be like hey remember when for a half a second we're like we're mad at you Nintendo and then we're like (laughs) we
2: forgot all about that we still love you the most toxic relationship in all video games (laughs)
0: Indeed.
2: All right, on to the
0: next piece of news. But before we do that, I want to let you know that this week's episode of What's Good Games is brought to you by Honey. Today's episode is sponsored by PayPal's Honey, the easy way to save when shopping on your iPhone or computer. Do you know it only takes a few seconds to get Honey? That means if you go add it to your laptop or your iPhone right now, you could be done before this ad read is even over. Let me kind of set the mood for you here on something that is equivalent to how quick it is to install Honey and save money with Honey. We've all been to the post office, right? But have you ever been to the post office and no one is in line? You just walk in and it's ghost town. You just walk right up, drop your pack of it off, and boom, you're just done. And you walk right back out to your car and you're like, it's never this easy, Well, you know what else works that fast? Honey's deal-finding abilities, everybody, because Honey is the free shopping tool that scours the internet for promo codes and applies the best one it finds to your cart. So here's how it works. Imagine you're shopping on one of your favorite sites. When you check out, the Honey button appears, and all you have to do is click Apply Coupons, wait a few seconds as Honey searches for coupons that it can find for that site all over the internet, and If Honey finds a working coupon, you'll watch the prices drop, boom, just like that. Y'all know I'm a big fan of Honey. I've been using Honey for years. I was just shopping for new baby clothes, so I guess she's not a baby anymore. It's back to school, everybody. (laughs) That's a conversation for another time. But I was shopping, and of course, I clicked that Apply Coupons button, and I saved myself $27. That's like three new pieces of toddler clothes. It's great. So if you guys have yet to install Honey, I'm telling you, you're just leaving money on the table. And it doesn't just work on desktop, everybody. It works on your iPhone, too. So just activate it on Safari on your phone and save on the go. And getting Honey seriously only takes a few seconds. And by getting it, you're going to be doing yourself a solid and supporting our show here at What's Good Games. Get PayPal Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash what's good. That's joinhoney.com slash what's good. Have you heard of this little game called Diablo 4?
1: Mm. Turns out,
0: a lot of people have. (laughs) Because it's June's best-selling game in the United States, everybody. Also, apparently, the PS5 is doing fantastically well, as if that was a surprise to anybody. (laughs) Um, So this write-up comes from IGN. Diablo 4 was the best-selling game in June 2023 in the U.S. according to new data. Circana's U.S. video game market results for June reveals that Blizzard's action role-playing game is the third best-selling game of 2023 overall so far, behind Hogwarts Legacy and The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Now, that stat, of course, doesn't come as a surprise because we've already talked about here on the show how it's Blizzard's fastest-selling game of all time with over 10 million players. And the launch of Diablo 4 even propelled Blizzard's financials to record levels. Congrats, you guys way to go. Final Fantasy 16 meanwhile was the second best-selling game of June. Its sales have become something of a battleground after Square Enix announced the PlayStation 5 exclusively sold 3 million copies during launch week. Square Enix told IGN that these launch sales were extremely strong, but sources speaking to IGN said sales had slowed considerably since then. I don't know why this just this just feels like a twisting of the words. It's like
2: yeah, it's it's an interesting point and I and I have some notes on that. So if you want to read the article the rest of it and then we can go back and talk about it.
0: Sure. In the third position, Street Fighter 6 from Capcom and it's the 10th best-selling game of 2023 so far. Matt Piscatella, executive director of games for Sakana said that Street Fighter 6 sold 2 million copies in just Wait, hold on, I skipped a line. <laughs> <laughs> I'm skipping ahead in the story everybody. Um yeah. Let's see. It said Street Fighter Six launch month sales more than doubled those of Street Fighter V, which came out in February of twenty sixteen. In fact, Street Fighter Six enjoyed the highest launch month dollar sales for a fighting game since the launch of Mortal Kombat Eleven in April of 2019. So um, we don't need to go through all of the numbers, but we did mention PS5 in the title. So overall, strong sales of new releases uh, and continued PlayStation 5 hardware strength led the U.S. video game market to grow by 9% year on year. Piscotella said double-digit percentage growth in PS5 spending offsets the decline on the Xbox series and Switch platforms, which tallies with comments coming out of Microsoft and Nintendo, respectively, about the current performance of their consoles. So we didn't include the story about Microsoft. Uh, having to reveal Xbox sales during the whole court proceedings and the FTC trial, mostly because I think it was not news to anybody that Microsoft was in third place in these alleged console wars, which are technically not really happening. But we keep bringing it up because it's good for SEO and gets people fired up online. And the more engagement you have with this video and you're fighting with each other in the comments means that we get more views. <laughs> So that's why the console wars keep going, everybody, in case you were like, I thought the console wars were over. They're not. We're going to keep them going forever until Games Media is And I'm Media this close
2: dead. to buying my Lamborghini <laughs> because of it. Because, you know, we just make so much, so much off these videos. <laughs>
1: have you, you all seen um, that movie Sorry to Bother You with Lakeith Stanfield where they have, like, the yes. compliment off? I wish uh-uh. the console wars were that where it's like, your UI system is so easy and snappy and, like, super simple to use. It's like, that would be more fun. Let's do that. Let's do that yes. version. That yes, a, a positivity
0: fuck. battle. That yeah. sounds great. I love that That'd for all of that. us. We could use that right now. But anyway, like I think the TLDR of this report is that video games are doing great, everybody.
2: They're doing real well. But yeah, I wanna go back to Final Fantasy Sixteen real quick. This has like been really interesting and I don't know why everyone is so is so concerned about Final Fantasy sixteen scores. I mean, maybe it has something to do with the fact that it's a very different Final Fantasy game and everyone's kind of wondering how it's going to hit. You have people who shall remain unnamed who I learned at Andrea's. Oh, by the way, girl, happy birthday. Yes, we like oh, shout you. you out. Lord! You thank had you. an incredible birthday party hosted by your incredible husband and it was so much fun. Yes, it, was it was like... I have my glass, if I was feeling better, I'd be drinking. I got my little bottle I was gonna pop open today from your party, anyway, all amazing stuff. Um, but while it's at your party, which was full of lovely industry folks, I did talk to one human there who said, Final Fantasy is irrelevant. Now, um, <gasps> you might know this person as someone who has lots of really stupid hot takes on Twitter, um, he who mm. shall remain unnamed. Who could that possibly
0: mm. be? Oh, I don't, know. I don't know. There was definitely two of them there at my party <laughs> and yeah, they were yeah. hanging out with each other most of the night.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. Something about some stupid radio show. I don't even know. I couldn't tell you what that's all about. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, yeah, so I think it's just been a lot of conversation of where does Final Fantasy stand in the video game industry as a franchise going forward? You know, what does this really big leap mean for the franchise? And I think the conversation also got started because people were comparing numbers, which to me is like really stupid. But so Final Fantasy VII Remake shifted 3.5 million copies in three days when it launched as a PS4 exclusive in April in 2020. But that console had been out for so long, like, what, seven years by that point? So, of course, the install b- base was huge. And right. the PS5 install base is only $40 million. And then everyone was comparing it to Final Fantasy 15's numbers as well, which sold 5 million units in its first day. But that sold on PS4 and Xbox One in November 2016. And it is still the fastest-selling game in the history of the series. And so then, obviously, like, you know, Square Enix is defending it. You have analysts coming in who aren't, like, necessarily, like, obligated to defend it, obviously, but they're like, they're doing pretty well, like considering the attach rate. Uh, So it's just been kind of interesting to watch. I mean, I don't think this number is anything to laugh at, especially like I said, considering what's coming out around the corner, Um, budgets are limited, times are hard, people have to be really careful on how they're spending their money. And there's been talk of DLC coming out for Final Fantasy 16 to try to give it maybe extra legs and how maybe it didn't sell super well in Japan because of the more mature theme. And it's not so, you know, rpg in that sense. But anywho, um, just kind of interesting saga to follow. And obviously, like, we'll keep I'll keep my eye on it because now I'm kind of invested. And we yeah. see where it goes. The game,
0: from what I've heard from universally from everybody, is phenomenal as yeah. a yeah. game, the yeah. content of it. I think the idea that we're going to try to judge it against things that are, you know, in different silos doesn't make sense. I mean, this game came out between two of the highest rated best-selling games of the year, Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom and Diablo 4. It was sandwiched in, like, you know, like right in there with them. And I'm like, hey, like those two behemoths are sucking all the oxygen out of the room. And there's not really a whole lot left for Final Fantasy 16, And now, like, the conversation is, like, how do we maybe bring it back up before we get into, like, Starfield territory a little bit, you know, further down the road? I hope it doesn't get overlooked. I definitely—it's still on my playlist. It's in the queue, oh, um, like a lot of games are. But I think that's yeah. just the problem this year is that there's just too much competition. And fewer dollars to go around than there has been in years past.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and it's such a different game that, you know, again, like I wouldn't recommend a lot of games to you, Andrea, but obviously like Final Fantasy VII Remake and I think even sixteen, like you would really enjoy because it is different. And I just think word of mouth, you know, is going to give it some tailwind there. But it's just a matter of, you know, we'll find out. It's, It's a really fucking hard time. But yeah, to echo what you said earlier, the game is phenomenal. It's very different from standard Final Fantasy games, but I think, you know, that lets it shine in a different way. And that's a whole ass conversation for another time. Like, I, I have so many thoughts about that. But anyway, that's it. That's all I had to say about Final Fantasy 16. Also, everyone in that game is way too goddamn hot for their own good. It's not fair. It's not.
0: <sighs> and she wonders why hentai is surfaced surface to her in the eShop. I told you. Um, it's not
2: really a problem. <laughs>
0: Okay, moving on to our next story. Assassin's Creed Mirage is nowhere near the length of Origins, Odyssey, and Valhalla according to a report by Push Square. So, I mean, just the t- title alone, I think a lot of people were like, hallelujah. So, Mirage has been billed as a, quote, smaller, more traditional Assassin's Creed title since the day it was officially announced. That is true. And Ubisoft is still pushing that perspective as we creep closer to the game's launch in October. In an interview with French YouTube channel Julien Chiez as translated by PC Games GamesN, lead producer Fabien Salomon gives insight as to how long Mirage actually takes to beat. Fabien says that in terms playtesting has shown that a rushed playthrough lasts roughly 20 hours while a much more complete run takes anywhere from 25 to 30. I don't know if their definition of more complete run is the same as yours and I's
2: though. (laughs) You know, I see this though and I'm like, that's still so many hours. It's a lot.
0: It's a lot of hours for sure. But I mean, it took me as a comparison to do a full playthrough of Assassin's Creed Valhalla and I didn't even do a, a completionist playthrough 150 hours yeah
2: Shoo. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 yeah, that's yeah, wild to me. And so it's just funny. And I had this moment earlier. I'm like, am I just of that age now where I'm like, oh, okay, a shorter Assassin's Creed game, 25 to 30 hours. I'm like, holy shit, that's going to take me like a month to beat at this point. But I am very excited about this. So you, Andrea, as the Assassin's Creed guru, if you will, how do you feel about this shorter campaign?
0: I think it's or great. I enemy. think a lot of people in their fan base want less busy work to do in the games. I think the team at Ubisoft did a really fantastic job of making the busy work in Valhalla feel rewarding, always earning you experience points, always working on your skill tree. I mean, but once you get into late game, there's really not a whole lot of stuff to upgrade. And I was really hoping that there would be more cool late game gear, but you really don't get the really cool gear until the very end. And then you're like, now what? And while they did have, you know, several DLC releases, I wanted to have that adventure with that amazing gear like in the middle of my game through the end of the game. And I think that that was a problem that the last couple of Assassin's Creed suffered from is that all the really cool gear didn't show up until very very late. And so I think, you know, when they kind of peel back a little bit from the RPG elements, which the Assassin's Creed franchise never really leaned into until Origins, I think it's going to help bring it back to its roots, which was, you know, this huge presentation we saw at Ubisoft Forward's live event by Summer Game Fest and has fallen in line with all of the marketing messages that they've put out since they announced this game. I think it's great. I think people want this. I don't think people want a 100-hour game. I think 30 hours sounds awesome. Yes. Actually, because
2: I didn't realize that the price tag was only going to be $50, instead of 70
0: I don't think they needed to do that, quite I honestly. I Mm-mm. would have paid I think, a full price for it. Yes. I think yeah. that it could absolutely have been a $70 game because there are plenty of games for $70, which are not nearly as comprehensive as Assassin's Creed Mirage is going to be. I think it's a dangerous precedent to set because I think it really sets consumer expectations up that you're getting a less than game when you price it below the standard AAA price. Because this is going to be a standard AAA game. And so I think that maybe they were a little worried that because they don't have all of these extra offerings that they needed to price it down but maybe what they're doing is just incentivizing people to buy into their cosmetic system with the microtransactions. And I've always been a huge fan of the Ubisoft cosmetics in the Assassin's Creed game. I always buy at least two or three horses and a bunch of armor. <laughs> they have some really fun packs that they put out that, you know, kind of vary in price. So like maybe this is just a good excuse to buy more cosmetics or people to spend less if they want to spend less. I don't think that they needed to price it lower for 30 hours. 30 hours is a lot of development work. Is a lot of video game. I don't know. I think there's just some loud people on the internet, as per usual, making a stink about this, going, it's too expensive. I go... Yeah, but everything's expensive. Like, the prices go up across the board. Are they not supposed to be competitive with Activision and EA and PlayStation where everybody else is pricing their games? I think that we talked repeatedly about how the price of games hasn't gone up for a really long time. And it going up by $10 I don't think is criminal.
2: I mean, I'm with you. That's always a stance I've had and I get shit for it sometimes where people won't blink an eye when it comes to spending 30 bucks to go to a theater and buy like popcorn and drinks and shit. But when it comes to paying 60, $70 for 20, 30 hour experience, suddenly it's not worth the money. And I think that's just the way we've been conditioned. But I'm always like, you know, if I walk away from a game, regardless of how long the campaign was and I felt fulfilled and I feel like I got a complete experience, then it's like, to me, that was money well spent. You know, that's just me. Hear, hear no, I think that's
0: mad? using movie theater is such a great example. I mean, because going to an IMAX screening or any kind of specialty format movie theater now is like $25 to $35, mm-hmm. you know? And then you, you're you there for, what, three hours maybe, sometimes four. If you're going to a particularly long movie and there's a bunch of previews and then it's done and you can't go watch it again in the theater, it's over. Right. <laughs> go home. Right. <laughs> you know? Go home. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I guess maybe it's controversial, but I don't think so. Everybody's, everybody's value and what their dollar means is going to be different. You know, it's okay if you're like, hey, my dollars, I don't want to spend my dollars on that. That's okay.
2: And that's fine. And that's great. Like, you know, if you g- get a more fulfilled experience from going to a movie, like absolutely you do you, but then don't shit on people who want to spend that money on a game. Like that's just, anyway.
0: Rant over. <laughs> anyway, we're all excited that Assassin's Creed Mirage is not going to be as long as Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Correct. Yeah, we are. And by we all, I mean the three of us. There's definitely people out there who are like, I need more
2: shanties to chase." You're getting a, a, a Black Flag remake and you're getting red. Calm your titties. They're flapping in the wind like a sail on a boat. They're just <laughs> flapping. Reel them in. <laughs> Reel them titties in. I like it. I like Reel them it. them titties in. Star Wars Jedi Survivor is in the early stages of development for PS4 and Xbox One. Did not see this coming. All right, so announced during EA's earning call, Respawn is, quote, in the early stages of development to bring Jedi Survivor to PS4 and Xbox One. Of course, it's not abandoning the current gen either. Quote, additional performance improvements for PC, PS5, and Xbox Series X and S remain a... Did I say PC5? It doesn't matter. Remain a top priority at Respawn, and the team will share more information as soon as the next update is ready. The publisher said in a statement. So yeah, we were talking about this before the show, and I think, Andrea, you hit it on the head. This must have been in some agreement somewhere.
0: It's such a weird story. I had to read it twice to make sure I was reading it correctly. I was like, wait, are we talking about Jedi Survivor? This isn't like a rumor about like the third one, The like because we heard in a rumor like a year ago that they were making three. And I was like, wait, wait, this is about Jedi Survivor going to PS4 and Xbox One? What's happening Why? (laughs) I I don't understand. These new consoles have been out now for three years. The idea that they're going to be, they're an, Early stages of development for the last generation consoles is just a bit of a head scratcher for me, especially with how pretty that game is and how big that game is. I'm like, I don't
1: know. I I just, I don't get it. I can appreciate that there is still some install base out there who are playing PS4 and Xbox One. And like, that's fantastic. If folks haven't gotten the opportunity to upgrade yet, they can play one of, you know, the better games of this year so far. But again, like an odd choice and the fact that it was released or at least discovered in an earnings call, does reek of, you know, somebody signed something that obligated them to do this.
2: Yeah, and I mean, you know, like you said, like, it is nice, because the PS4 install base is what? Like, what are we, 120 million? Something like yeah. that? PS5 is at 40, so there's still 80 million people out there who don't have a PS5, and obviously times are tough, so this would give them an opportunity to play the game, and I definitely appreciate that as well. And I get that. It's just, yeah, it's, you know, I, I don't know if this had been announced before, or it was a surprise to me, that's all I'm saying.
0: I guess if you are still gaming primary on your Xbox One and your PS4, this is great news. Yeah, because yeah. that game is wonderful. I wonder how much it'll One. cost. I'm guessing 59.99. Don't know why it wouldn't cost full
1: price, right? I mean, after Ubisoft, I don't know. Now I'm suspicious.
0: <laughs> I mean, you know what? Fair. Be suspicious <laughs> your of side everything. Eye <laughs> All right, everybody, that's going to do it for news this week. When we come back, we're going to talk about what we've been playing. And as Rihanna hinted, she's been playing with Pikmin. And Brits is going all in on bg 3 Bears. It's just what we're calling it now. bg 3 Bears. It's Baldur's Gate, everybody. All right, we'll be right back.
2: Welcome back to the What's Good Games podcast. This is the second segment where we talk about preview events and games we have been playing But first, I want to let you know that this week's episode is sponsored by Factor. With the busy fall season just around the corner, you might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals for jam packed days. Factor America's number one ready to eat meal kit can help you fuel up fast with chef prepared, dietitian approved, ready to eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle. Need a breather from all of the summer cookouts with hot dogs, chips, and ice cream? Choose from over 34 weekly flavor-packed dietitian approved meals ready to eat in two minutes. Treat yourself to healthy upscale meals with premium ingredients like broccolini, leeks, truffle butter and asparagus with gourmet plus options, prepared to perfection by chefs and ready to eat in record time. Life is hectic, so maybe you're too busy running around during the day to think about lunch. We'll keep your energy up with lunch to-goes, effortless wholesome meals like grain bowls and salad toppers that are ready to eat when you're on the go. No microwave required. And with Factor, you can rest assured that you're making a sustainable choice. We offset 100% of our delivery emissions 100% renewable electricity for our production sites and offices, and feature sustainably sourced seafood in our meals. And I think this all just nails it on the head for me. I am a person of convenience, especially after I have had my son who is two now and running around and talking and not letting me take a moment's rest. And I love that the about oh five minutes of lunch that I set aside for myself, I can just pop a factor meal in the microwave, set that bad boy for a few minutes and it's ready to eat. I don't have to do anything. I love cooking when I have the time, but lately, man, I haven't had it. So factor has come in clutch for me. If you want to try factor for yourself, head to factormeals.com slash what's good 50 and use code what's good. 50 to get 50% off that's code what's good 50 at factormealscom slash what's good 50 to get 50% off friends I have been venturing through the gates of Baldur's gates and <laughs> <laughs> is there an actual gate I'm I'm assuming there is. I haven't actually seen the actual gate yet that leads into Bother's Gate. I'm not that far yet. But yes, so I have been playing the review build of Bother's Gate. Obviously, this is different than the early access build. So thank you again to Larian Studios and the amazing team at Sandbox PR for my review copy. So by the time this podcast releases, Baldur's Gate 3 is out on PC. Um again, it's not coming to PS5 until September 6th and Xbox is still like kind of up in the air. We don't really know when that game is coming.
0: Ooh, there was a there was a report. I almost added it to the oh. in case you missed it. It's- it's a rumor. Oh. But the report is that it's not coming to Xbox until twenty twenty four. Ooh.
1: Oh. Ouch. Oh. Wow. That split screen's really kicking them, huh? That's
2: gnarly. Oh my God. I, I I do wonder again if this is gonna have some sort of like repercussions. Cause again, for those of you who are listening who don't know, Xbox has a requirement that there has to all major features have to be present on the Series S and the Series X. And they just can't make it work on the S because it's just not powerful enough. So they're really on the struggle bus with that. And that's why the game isn't releasing at all. Which seems like a real Really big loss to me, but hey, what do I know? Anywho, so uh, yeah, the game has been in early access on Steam since uh, 2020, and it's only the entirety of Act One. But now that the game, the final game, is out, you are being encouraged to erase and delete all of your early access builds, your save games, your mods, etc. This isn't a surprise. We've known that those save states weren't going to transfer over. Not only that, the first act now has 33% more content in it, so there's a lot more new things, things to discover, people to talk to. It's a really good time. And so I just got the code, gosh, a few days ago, and unfortunately, the build up until last night was like not great. I got a lot of crashes. I had a lot of issues just kind of like getting my footing underneath me, and then the game would crash again. But I'm happy to say since then, there's been about two patches, and I haven't had any crashes since that last second patch. In fact, I have a patch waiting for me right now. <laughs> uh, as soon as we're done here, I'm going to have to update a new patch. Uh, but yeah, the only issues I've had so far with a build, it's just some lighting issues, and it's kind of it's kind of cool actually. You're like you'll walk into like a certain area, and it looks like the entire area has been like barfed on by rainbows. It's really pretty actually. I kind of <laughs> love it. It looks like you're tripping on some really interesting like shrooms or some shit. Um, and sometimes the audio will cut out now and again, but again, I don't know if this new patch that I have uh, waiting for me will fix any of that. So anyway, yeah. So I haven't been able to venture too much farther into early access, and uh, not early access. I'm sorry. I mean the final build one. But you were able to experience in early access. But like I said, from a performance standpoint, now with the patches are out, it's been running fine. Another really interesting thing is the character creation, I guess I didn't realize this, wasn't as, it's not as expansive as I would like it to be because how it works is you have these predetermined heads per race you want to be. So like the humans, I think have like, I don't know, 12 or 13 heads. I don't know how many heads they have. And you cycle through them, but like the eyes, the nose and the lips and all that sort of stuff are predetermined. So you, there's no like customization slider to to like personalize your eyes, nose, or lips, which is kind of a bummer. I, you know, when you're playing a, a D&D game as like your own character, you would want to have as many options as possible. But I'm assuming that it has something to do with the fact that every character that I've seen and cutscenes that I've created looks incredible like the facial animations it doesn't look like it was the copy paste and then like some like preset like rendering it all looks very like real and that probably has something to do with it but yeah i mean like so far i've just had this i have this huge sense of awe and wonder with walters gate 3 just kind of like i have with every other divinity original sin Divi- divinity original sin 2 and larian game in front of me and i don't know if there's any other developer out there better at crafting this feeling than larian is it's like i have this huge sandbox of this huge playground in front of me and you never know what you're going to find. You never know um, who you're going to find. You might find a random pile of dirt that has like a really cool item in it. But if your perception isn't good enough, you know, you're not going to you're not going to see it unless, you you know, maybe your partner will or something. It's just like playing a fucking d d campaign on your screen. And it's great because Andrea doesn't yell at me when I want to do obscure things. Hey, like she does anyway. <laughs> I don't always
0: yell at you when you want to do obscure things. We just are always on a timetable.
2: <laughs> yes, sweetie. Uh, but anyway, like it's been fun because I've been playing with Jason and we're playing split screen co-op. So the reason that you might be wondering, like if you're watching on YouTube, like, yo, Britt, your, your background looks really interesting. It's like, yes, because my main podcasting PC is currently rigged up to we have a, a little like mini theater room with a really cool projector. And I have my PC rigged up to that because, you know, I'm not going to sit on my fucking computer and play a game out on my little you know, desk chair. I want to lounge in a couch. So that's why. I'm I'm using my old studio right now, Uh, but we've been playing and how I have it set up is the, I have two PS five controllers stuck into, plugged into the, the tower. And as soon as you plug your controller in the game recognizes that and it switches the UI to the controller UI and it works really well. I haven't had really any any issues with that other than when you want to type something again, as of like yesterday, you have to like go back to your keyboard to type stuff. So this is an issue when you're naming your main character um, because we didn't know how to change it. And so Jason and I are both Tav. In the video game, and Tav <laughs> is the default character, the <laughs> like default character name. So we're both kind of, and it, you know, it happens, and it's fine. So that's an issue. Or if you have custom map markers, that can be a problem too. But what's great about this is that cross progression is enabled from the get go. So if you're interested in playing, if you can't wait to play Baldur's Gate until it comes to PS5, what you can do is you can just start your campaign on your PC, and then you can just transfer it over when the game launches on September 6th. And that's exactly what I'm gonna do because I mean. I love PC. I love my PC, but my God, I do do not like PC gaming. It was such a hassle to get that son of a bitch set up to work. Never, ever again. But no, I'm having like a really, really good time with it. You know, I started my own campaign actually um, because I'm trying, ladies, I'm trying to be like more forgiving because Jason is just chaos when he plays these games. (laughs) If he wants to like pickpocket someone because they have really cool loot, he will stop at nothing to do it. And nine times out of 10, I feel like he gets caught because he's just like- So he's a bad
0: thief that never wants to stop thieving.
2: Well, you know, I don't think he is, but I think the problem is he wants to get caught because then it turns the entire village against you. And then you all that why exactly? Well, I think it's because of all the free loot, because if you if you massacre the entire village of characters, you get to loot everything and it costs nothing to do it. You know what? That's true. And so he's like, why would I want to spend my money on this when I could just, you know, do a really bad thing and just kill everybody? And I brought this up to Sven one time, this, the founder of Larian. This. And I was like, Larian, I was, I said, Sven, this is this is unhealthy. Like and he's like, I think it's funny. He's like, he should totally do it more often. And I was like, no. Wait, are there no like
0: larger consequences? Because like I remember, like in Skyrim, when you would do that, there'd, there'd be like consequences for like you know going in and killing people and, and oh things yeah, like that. you'll
2: you'll lock yourself out of quests. You'll um you know you'll lose any progression in anything you were doing. But the game is adapted to that. adapted to that, it'll work around it. Huh. You know, it'll it'll fail the quest and the story will just take off like you failed it. It's really it's really impressive like what they've done. So, you know, I figure, well, you know, if Jason gets a murderous, you know, um, streak about him, then I'll let him do that. So I started my own campaign is what I'm trying to say. So then that way I can make my own quest and keep everybody your alive.
0: own way. Own way.
2: <laughs> I said, you do not touch this campaign. You do not go near it. This is the campaign where I bang everyone and everyone loves me and I don't kill everyone. Because he, he's not as, you know, diplomatic as I am. So we're both having a lot of fun doing that that way. And it was fun yesterday. We were in camp because you have to camp to do your long rests and all that D&D bullshit shit and he has Shadowheart in his control and I have Gale in my control so the game is in split screen so I'm on the left like flirting with Gale he's on the right flirting with Shadowheart and we're like wooing these NPCs and then like while he was talking to Shadowheart I went up behind him and I pickpocketed him and stole all of his potions, and he didn't know. I don't know how he missed it because I like, can literally see on the left side of my screen what I was <laughs> doing, but whatever. And then we got in a really hairy fight like an hour later, and he needed to heal, but I forgot to give him his potions back. And well, yeah, he died. Um, <laughs> but it was, you know, <sighs> you know, consequences of my actions. Uh, but yeah, obviously, like I'm just starting, so. I can't talk too much more about it, but I'm gushing because I love Larry and I love what they're doing. And I just hope that, you know, a lot of folks give this check this game out. Oh, and for you, Ree, I don't know if you're planning on playing this at all, but it is Steam Deck compatible mm. and they're hoping to have the Steam Deck verified by the launch date, which Ooh, is tomorrow. that's for exciting.
1: Us. That is exciting. Mm. And don't you yeah. get like all of the additional stuff on the PC build too? Like all the extras come with it?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You get an upgrade to the Digital Deluxe Edition, I think, is what you get if you pre-order it or something. I'm not entirely Mm -hmm. sure what that was, but I do remember hearing about that. The game is massive. It's 122 gigs. So, um, you know, unfortunately, you can't preload it because of something with Steam. But, yeah, it's out there. You know, they got Lady D's voice actress, in there as well. Maggie Robertson. It, it, Doug Cockle, the El Rivia is in there too. It's just, it's really impressive. I'm really excited to get into it. And I'll be talking about this game for the rest of the year and then some.
0: Excellent. So I just have to play Final Fantasy 16. I have to finish Tears of the Kingdom. I have to start preparing for Starfield. And yeah. I have to play Baldur's Gate 3. And City Skylines too.
2: Yeah, I'm serious.
0: Listen, Reese, something's got to give. <laughs> <laughs> you you handle that one for us. We'll call it even. I'll handle Assassin's Creed Mirage. Deal.
2: Deal. Deal. I'll play the new Harvest Moon game. We're good. There we go. See, Deal.
0: we got it all covered here at What's Good Games. Zerosaurus, you know, for very lopsided video game preview and hands-on impression coverage. Because there's only three <laughs> of us, ladies and gentlemen, and two of us have babies and the other one's going to have a baby soon. <laughs> but we love video games and I'm very happy to hear that you've been enjoying your time and that it seems like everyone's really loving this game. So... Hopefully it yeah. doesn't happen, it doesn't go by the way of Final Fantasy 16 and people overlook it. Another game that I've heard nothing but good things about is also out now and is
1: also on my list to play, Pikmin 4. Yes. So I've been playing Pikmin 4. So it came out July 21st. It's not like brand new. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I'm a behind mm. player. It's only, it's only been out for like <laughs> two weeks, weeks, not yeah. even. Yeah. Yeah been out a couple weeks and this is my first Pikmin game. So I had no idea what kind of game this even was. And I uh, am married to somebody who's a huge Pikmin fan. So I've always heard like, oh, Pikmin's coming out. Get excited. I'm like, oh, for what? Uh, the only reference I had was actually from Super Smash Brothers and Olimar being a character you could play. As. Amazing. I love that that's your only Pikmin reference. That, that's all I had. So I knew he threw things and I, that was it.
2: So um, That's where I'm at, baby. That's my reference too. Yeah.
1: So I, I don't think we all had the, the language to really describe this back when you know Pikmin first came out, Pikmin 1. But this is a cozy game. This is a really great game. For people who like puzzling, who like sim and management-type games, um, it's got, uh, I don't want to say overcooked vibes because there's not the same amount of pressure. But you're organizing your Pikmin, who are little creatures – that you discover. You can spawn more of them through leveling everything up and they have different functions depending on what color and type they are. And you send them out on little errands, right? So some Pikmin may be fighting an enemy in order to clear a path to something you're going for. Some may be retrieving an item that you found and it's a treasure you want to take back to your ship. And you might have other Pikmin who are working on building a bridge for you so you can get to a new area of a map. And all, all of this is, is again, like, just 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 managing your resources and and keeping an eye on the clock and figuring out who is idle and what tasks you need to accomplish within your set time. So that's kind of like the core game loop. And they call it Danbori, uh, I think is the, the word that is used for it. I don't want to get too far into the details of the story because there is a story here. And it's actually really sweet. It's really cute. Hmm. And um, I enjoy it quite a bit. But essentially, you, you crash land on this planet. You are not Olimar. You are a new original character. And your task is to initially retrieve Olimar, save him. But you and your shipmates have crash landed. And first, you need to find all of your shipmates. So you can take a couple of different approaches here. You can keep finding more shipmates. You can divert and just uncover this land and find new paths, new Pikmin, and new treasures and bring them back to your ship in order to level everything up. Or you could find these additional folks folks who are castaways. And they are people who, I guess, heard Olimar's SOS call and decided to come look for treasure on this uncharted planet as well. And um, you're you're coming across them as you progress throughout the the maps. So. The, the, it has a lot of different ways to engage with this like core mechanic you can go on your daily excursions right like you go explore you land on a planet you discover new parts of the land you're powering up your Pikmin and your pup Hotachi is this really really cute little cute. alien space looking dog thing with two legs and um, <laughs> and as you go throughout the, the little worlds that you're discovering you can find portals or tunnels that you can jump into for challenge missions or additional Basement levels or underground levels. So the challenge missions are fun because they're timed. They're usually about two minutes long, and it's like how many things can you collect, how many enemies can you fight, how many you know walls can you break down and pass, can you clear within a small amount of time? And they're you know bronze, silver, and gold star. Points that you can score. So those are fun little time challenges. And they range from like one fire flame level to like seven or something. And so I've only played up to two. And two is hard (laughs) to get bronze. So I'm actually kind of worried what my Danbori skills will be like once I get to the highest level. But there's also these basement levels where you go down and that's usually where you discover new Pikmin. They're underground and they're very much shorter, but they're split up a lot uh, more strategically so that you get maybe like three or four objectives to accomplish in each basement level you find a new pikmin maybe you find a castaway and then you move on so they have a lot of different ways to play that are easily bite-sized and you can choose again like how much you want to accomplish in each given day i've played 10 days so far and i've done a number of the challenge levels throughout that time i haven't hundred percented any of the worlds yet And the more things you collect, the more flight plans you can add to your ship and find new worlds. And there's a lot, like there's a lot of game here. It's very packed and it's super chill out, like really cool Zen music. The Pikmin are adorable. If you have the Pikmin just kind of like riding along with you and you haven't sent any of them to do anything for a while, they start singing to each, to each other. Oh. And it's really sweet. And like if you find little pieces of sap on the ground from either fallen enemies or broken eggs, a few of them you can send over there to go lick, to drink it up and they become more powerful and they do this little slurpy sound and like, ooh, after they're done. So like it, the, the sound design is really sweet. The dog is adorable. The upgrade trees feel really rewarding. Like I I feel like every time I go back to the main ship area, I have some new item I can buy or some new skill to teach my little dog in order to make traversal or fighting a lot easier. So I'm loving this game. I can see myself trying to 100% it. And that's not a very common thing for me, especially not with cozy games.
2: Oh, man. I think you've sold me on it. Crap.
1: It's really good. I've been
2: wanting to get into Pikmin. I've been wanting to try it. And I just, obviously, there's been some beefy-ass games that we've talked about. But here you talk about it. I'm like, God, that sounds good right
1: now. It's a breath of fresh air. Like, a lot like how I felt playing Disney Illusion Island. It's just like, ah, this is just pure gaming. Like, it's just game and fun and sweet and wholesome. And I really, I need more of this right now. Less stress. Mm.
0: I think the uh, it really that that's great that it
1: is out now
0: because it's a good like filler title for people who are on Switch who are maybe either done with their time at Tears of the Kingdom or they haven't started it yet or they're just looking for something that's a little, you know, less intensive. And I mean, I spent a good amount of time playing Pikmin 3, but let's be honest, that was a long time ago now. (laughs) Um, So Pikmin 4 is definitely like long overdue. And I think it's great that there's been this kind of renaissance or maybe renaissance isn't the right word. Maybe it's more of a expansion of the cozy game genre of of people who are looking for this style of game where it's like hey i just i don't want to be worried about my kill death ratio i don't want to be managing <laughs> thousands of different systems or you know microcurrencies and min maxing until my brain is bleeding like i just want to like send my little <laughs> pikmin and my pop out to do some really basic bitch errands well now i have to play this too
1: <laughs> sorry add it to sorry. the list <laughs>
0: No, don't be sorry. Don't be sorry. I definitely could use another cozy game. I had mentioned briefly that I started playing Hades again on my Steam Deck and have been very much enjoying that. But that game is, you know, not a cozy game, but a very fun game to play. Um, I was going to talk a little bit, just very briefly, about this board game that friend of the show, Susu Dip, brought over to my house to try out called Kites. So she bought it at PAX. Actually, and um, I believe she test played it with another friend of the show, Lucigen. Um, and so it's called Kites Time to Fly. And it is, let's see who the I think it's called, from Floodgate Games, I believe, is the publisher. Mm-hmm. And it's a cooperative game where you essentially manage a bunch of little hourglass timers, like the little Ones that have sand that run down through them, um, like very traditional Mm -hmm. little mini hourglasses. And they all have different colors. And each color represents a different kite. And each one has a different amount of sand in it. So they all have different amounts of seconds. And you have to work together to keep the timers from running out to essentially keep the kite show going or keep the kites in the air. And at first I was like, well, this sounds like pretty easy and it can get really hectic really quickly as you're going (laughs) around the circle trying to play your cards to like flip the timer's over because the way that the game works is everybody gets a set amount of cards at the beginning and each of the cards has symbols that correspond to the timers. There's also a set of challenge cards, which we were like, let's deal with those later and just get the game down. (laughs) The way that it works is you have different colors on it and you can talk to your teammates about like, okay, oh, I've got like yellow, purple, and red, or I've got like, uh, you know, blue and yellow because the cards can have either a single color or two colors on them. And then you have to use them so you're sometimes flipping multiple colors together. So if you get one color, like the blue timer is about to run out, but all I have is like a blue and a yellow, but the yellow timer just got full, it means now yeah. that I'm flipping one to full and one to almost empty, so you really kind of got to work together to be like, oh. oh, oh, well, you know, if you have a yellow, like can you flip it if I flip it over and kind of strategizing, but you have to do it really quickly Because the longest timer is 75 seconds. So they range from like 30 seconds. Oh, wait, maybe it's 90 seconds. From 30 seconds to 90 seconds. So you you don't have a lot of time to think about it. You kind of just got to like play. And I was like, okay, this is wild, but it was really fun. And then you add in challenge cards, which introduce like lightning storms and crossed wires (laughs) as in getting like your kite strings like crossed where you basically have to like swap cards with the players to your left and right. Like while you're in the middle of trying to strategize what you're doing. And then there was one more... Oh, that sounds... Yeah, it had to do with... Um, I can't remember what it's called, but it has to do with um, once you play it, everybody at the table has to be silent for one whole turn. So you essentially just have to stop talking and just play your cards and just hope for the best. Ooh,
2: that sounds hectic. Is So it's like, is it cooperative in the sense that it's like overcooked, where you want to kill all your co-op partners by the end of it? No. Oh, that's
0: good. Because you either like collectively fail or, or lose. And it's less about like winning and more about just like having fun together and essentially you know, like winning together as a team or failing together as a team. Because I mean... So how do you win? Um, So, I mean, you win by like uh, running out of cards. So the idea is that you play every single card in your hand and then there's a draw pile. So once you play a color, like let's say I, I flip the orange and the red timer, I put that card down and then I draw from the draw pile. And then you go around in the circle and then once everybody's... Once the draw pile runs out, it's called like the grand finale of the kite show. So essentially like you're now in like the last phase where you're just trying to quickly play off the rest of the cards that are in your hand. Uh, But if at any point a single timer runs out, the show is over. Like all the kites essentially like die. (laughs) And it's frantic because the rules are you have to be the one to flip your own timers. And they do have an accessibility um, setting in there for people who can't physically flip timers. You can like assign it to a partner or a friend and they can be like your de facto time flipper. But there's like special rules about certain cards where you have to be the one who flips the timer specifically and then there's rules about when the person next to you, what time they can flip in. It can really come down to the wire if someone has like... There was this one round where like none of us like had like a purple and like the purple is the longest timer and it got like down to like, just a couple grains and like oh, then someone God. drew one and I was like, oh my God, we just like barely saved it. But the timers themselves feel just a little flimsy for me. I was like my one like, gripe about the actual physical pieces of this board game because it was a super fun, very easy game to play and you something you could play with people of all ages and all skill levels, which I love. And it's super easy to pick up. You don't have to spend an hour learning the rules. You can just start mm-hmm. playing right away, which I think it makes for a great board game for, you know, just for friendly play. And but the timers themselves just felt a little like flimsy. So as you're like constantly flipping them, we just kept accidentally knocking them over. And I was like, I don't, I can't tell if like it's intended to make it like more difficult, or if because it's a smaller, cheaper game, the game pieces are just made of thinner, you know, lighter weight plastic. But you know, if they end up making another run of this game or a different edition, I'd love to see them get much weightier timers. so when you flip them, it doesn't feel like I'm constantly like tipping them over. Sounds fun. Yeah, it was like just like a, a cute a, little idea, a fun little game to play. You know, I've Rihanna was there the last time I played it. A very invested board game. A round of <laughs> a round of Mass Effect Risk that involved me throwing some game pieces at one point. Yeah, so um, across the room. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! I did it mostly for comedy, but I was also. Oh, a it I was also a little frustrated, but so I was like, I'm done with this game, table flip. But this game was not that, mostly because it's also cooperative, so that helps. But yeah, it was fun. Kites, it's called fun. Kites Time to
1: Fly. And, like, how long does a a game last about?
0: Around, like, 10 minutes or less. I mean, because if you get, if you think about the timers and how they work, you're constantly flipping the timers. But the goal is obviously to move quickly because if you don't, the timers run out so fast. But the games can absolutely be much shorter if you don't pay attention to all of the colors and where they're all at, and strategize like, hey, I've got a single one. Oh, I should also mention there's a white timer that generally runs all the other ones. So in addition to managing the individual kite colors, there's a white timer that you have to manage as well that you can only flip with a single card, a single symbol card. And so if you forget about the white timer and are only focusing on the colored timers, that could also end the game. So
2: Uh, yeah, just a little little thing in there
0: but it feels like a game that would be like ripe for house rules like creating like fun
1: specialty rules to make it more difficult so how does this game compare to flying actual kites which you did this weekend
0: I did (laughs) I hadn't flown a real kite in a very long time and I got this kite specifically to bring to the beach. And I went to the beach on, on my birthday weekend because I really wanted to see the ocean. And I wanted to fly this kite. It's like this really pretty 3D owl kite with these way too long Ooh. streamers that we had to cut a little short. But it's wildly different. I do think that there's a lot of design elements to this board game that could bring in more of the actual show of the kite. It felt like the pieces were very simplified. And I'm not sure if it's just because it's like the first run and they're like planning to like make a like a bigger version. I actually, from a, from a physical piece perspective, don't know like how they would do that. But I would really love to see them incorporate some kind of kite design into the pieces because kites are such a beautiful, simple creation that, you know, they just take advantage of the wind and the sky. And it was just so nice to like... Fly a kite and also my arms and my neck hurt way more than I thought that they would by <laughs> just oh, holding the no. kite. But I didn't hit anybody with it and I didn't lose it into the ocean. So that's a win.
2: That's a win. Yeah. That's a win. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. They um one of the rules is that <clears throat> the person who goes first is the person who most recently has flown a kite, which I did not know before we So before. cute. I love so I was when like, it's games me. have
2: that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was um it was fun. So um, it was really cool to check out. So if you're into tabletop games and you're looking for something easy and fun to play, I had a, a good time. Kites, time to fly. Ah! Oh, and that brings us to the end of our show, ladies and gentlemen. Brittany, I want a really fun, elaborate fake story about where you're going to be next week.
2: So next week, I'm going to be at this <laughs> really cool pond. Well, it's actually not really a pond. It's more of a lake, and it's centered right in the middle of this really cool land. I think it's called like Hyrule? Maybe it's Hyrule. I don't know. All I know is that they have the hottest fishmen and fishwomen you'll ever see in your entire life. I mean, they're fucking hot. I don't know if you've ever wanted to bang a Zora before, but I'm going there, and it's going to be incredible and amazing, and maybe I'll fight some Ganon guy who like, I hear looks somewhat like a pig. I can't, I can't be totally sure. I don't know. I'm just going to go there to get Get it in. It's going to be great. That wow. sounds like a super awesome vacation.
0: I hope you have a great time.
2: Thanks. If I don't, the whole world's going to be destroyed. So you better hope I, I have a good time.
0: <laughs> no pressure. No pressure.
2: <laughs>
0: um, you nailed that assignment. 10 out of 10. Also, the accent. Thanks.
2: Amazing! Oh, you like it was that. like old school Don't Valley tra- Girl. It was. Should I, should I just do a whole episode like that? I okay.
0: dare you! No, please, dare you?
2: The five star reviews will be pouring in. <laughs> it would be great.
0: I'm sure they will. Anyway, she's not going to be here next week, but we're going to have a special guest. It's going to be fun. Stay tuned. Details forthcoming, everybody. <gasps> Until then, have a great weekend. Play some video games, or maybe go outside and fly a kite. That's also very fun. Bye, everybody.